0: Hola, pod peeps across the digital domain. It's the Deacon's Pod, where spirituality and justice meet real American life in the 21st century. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulist affiliate Deacons, Deacon Tom and Deacon Drew.
1: Well, hey, good morning here. This is Deacon Tom Casey with the Deacons Pod, and we are together with my Paulist Deacon affiliates, uh, Deacon Drew and Deacon Dennis. How are you doing today? How is it going? Well, it's it's not morning as we do this,
0: and uh, who knows when the listeners will listen. Way to go, Tom. Okay. That's 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 why I
1: don't do this. I'm doing it. I don't have the the college. Wait a minute. This is Deacon (laughs) Drew. This is
2: Deacon (laughs) Drew. Uh, I'm doing fine, but you don't know it's not morning where Tom is. All three (laughs) of us
1: are in completely different geographic locations yeah Yeah. where's the international date line i know joe tell us you were at the red mass how did that go for you did you get
2: another award
1: (laughs) you know i can't (laughs) believe it i can't believe it but no
2: uh, now, again, the in two years in a row, Jeez. that would be you know, uh, what up, I would man. have expected. But, you know, it was a wonderful red mass. The honoree this year at the Archdiocese of Newark was Michael Shigaris, who is the chief judge of the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. And it was a, a great mass and a great reception afterwards. And a lot of lawyers showed up. And the homilist was a priest who pointed out that he'd been working with lawyers for at least 25 years. And of course, the cathedral is filled with lawyers, and he says, when he got home one day, his mother said to him, how are they? Are they nice to you? And he said, oh, they're very nice to me. But I do get the sense that they love to be listened to, which I thought was one of the best ways to say (laughs) that you talk too much, that we talk too much, that lawyers talk too much. So the Red Mass is the mass that marks the opening of the judicial year, and it's traditionally celebrated in archdioceses across the country. Red vestments are worn, and the church takes the opportunity to... Welcome and bless lawyers and judges in their duties. St. Thomas More is the saint that is usually part of the Red mass and, and whose name we celebrated under because he was a lawyer who stood up for his beliefs in the church rather than given to King Henry VIII. Today, we are going to be interviewing Heidi Schump, the executive director yeah. of NCR, our yes. National Catholic Reporter. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Because yeah, she's a I,
0: smart lady.
2: We've, been, you know, we've all been reading NCR for all these many years, and so this should be interesting.
0: All right. And she's had, she's had a long history in her job life that prepared her well for this high-level post, and some of her writing is just, just outstanding. Some of the investigative journalism she's done as well. And she as, covers a lot of ground. As well as the opinion piece, it's a good Catholic mom, you know. I mean, and uh, smart, smart lady. So. She, you could tell she's smart because she's on
2: a podcast with David Dalt and Father Dan Horan. I know, and that that podcast teaches you so much if you just if you listen to them. They they are right on top of Catholicism today.
0: The Francis effect. That the podcast. Francis yeah. effect. Yeah, yeah. So, no, that's good. Good stuff. Yep. I, I listen to that regularly. Yep. Okay. So, we're going to talk to Heidi? I think we should. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's why why I came. (laughs) That's why we're here.
2: (laughs) Well, with all that then, we are now going to go talk to Heidi Schlumpf. Today, our guest is Heidi Schlumpf. Ms. Schlumpf has been writing about religion and spirituality for over 30 years. She is currently the executive editor of the National Catholic Reporter, or NCR as we insiders call it. She, I think, took that position in 2020 after having served as national correspondent for three years before that. She is the author and editor of three books, Elizabeth A. Johnson, Questing for God, The Notre Dame Book of Prayer, and While We Wait, Spiritual and Practical Advice for Those Trying to Adopt. She can be heard on another podcast called The Francis Effect, and we're going to talk to her about that later. It's one of our favorites because it includes our producer, David Dalt, and of course, Father Dan Horan. And she can be found on Twitter at Heidi Schlumpf. I've been following her writing for years. We are so pleased and honored to have her on the podcast. Welcome, Ms. Schlumpf.
3: Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm really excited that our person we have in common, producer David Dalt, was able to bring us together.
2: Yeah, we
0: are too. Yes. You would never take our phone calls otherwise, so we're happy too. Who are they? (laughs) Are you kidding me? And rightly so, by the
1: way. Rightly so. (laughs) There's that humility badge again. (laughs) So we're
2: all readers of your column at NCR, and... I thought maybe it would be helpful to just start off by picking and choosing a couple of those things to talk to you about. And one of the things that caught my eye right away was your column in the September 30th to October 13th edition where you talk about the season of creation and how your family celebrates that season of creation holiday, which I guess runs from September. You're going to have to correct me on this because, frankly, it was new to me, and I felt embarrassed that it was new to me. I looked it up in my archdiocesan website, and yes, we talk about it there, but it has never been a parish thing for my parish. But the season of creation runs from September 1 through October 4th, correct?
3: Correct. And don't feel bad, Drew, because it was new to me, too. It's been around for a while. It didn't officially go on the Catholic calendar until 2015, But because the National Catholic Reporter has a special project called EarthBeat that is specifically about covering the intersection of environmental justice and religious faith, that's where I learned about the season of creation. So I don't want you to paint me as somebody who's been celebrating it for years or anything and, and ahead of everybody else. So that's one reason to maybe tune into that special publication that we have called EarthBeat. They have a lot of both coverage of activists who are working in this area, trying to work towards eliminating the effects of global climate change, especially on the poor, and trying to also have a number of people who write for us who talk about how to apply this in your everyday life. So I talked a little bit about how with this season of creation, I I turned to my family to see if they wanted to try to, you know, get on the bandwagon with that. So probably the way that most people think of the parish season of creation, and maybe it's not even labeled as such, is that it ends on the 4th because that's the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. So a lot of parishes have the blessing of pets. Do you guys have that at your parish?
1: Yeah, we have a drive-by.
3: Okay, okay. they don't even have to get out of their cars?
1: (laughs) No, the the animals are doing fine. They haven't hit anything yet, so... (laughs) Oh, uh, there! No, father goes out and blesses them all, and it's a fairly good turnout. Yeah.
3: Well, we are a pet-free home. I don't know about you guys, dog people, cat people.
2: No, we've had a dog. We don't have one now. Dennis has one. Uh, I,
3: oh, here we come.
2: Yeah, he. Dennis Aww. has a, a cute little,
0: very annoying dog. <laughs> no, <laughs> Maddie, don't you listen, honey. Oh, okay.
1: The mean man. I want to take a picture oh, I here. Know, honey. All right. <laughs> get out of I here. get my uh, my dog love in when, with my three children that have seven dogs between them
3: oh yikes okay like, seven
1: barking dogs The grand dogs as people right. yeah, say the right? grand dogs.
3: <laughs> so we're a pet-free home right now although my daughter is heavily advocating that we ac- acquire a dog <laughs> we'll see if that happens but but you know we tried to talk about other ways that we could mark the season of creation and so i i didn't get a lot of enthusiasm i have teenagers now But we talked about ways that we maybe are already doing this and we could just step it up a little bit. So one of the ways is we do a lot of hiking and trying to get out in nature. I live in Chicago in the city. We live near the river, so we have a lot of trails and parks and places to walk near us. But we also like to get to nearby states, either Wisconsin or Indiana. So that's something my husband is really committed to and we try to get out in nature. Sometimes I'll do a—we get to skip Mass this morning and go do Church of Nature, and we go for a hike. So every once in a while, that that encourages some enthusiasm with the preteen, teen teen set. Based on
2: my reading (laughs) of your column, I thought you had tremendous response from— Teenagers, you know, I don't want to qualify it, but for, because they are teenagers, I thought that was a pretty good response. Yeah, you even changed your diet up a little bit, correct?
3: Well, that was at the initiation of our daughter, who became a vegetarian. I think almost two years ago, and you know, I think it's a very common thing. I guess for preteen girls to do now is they love animals, and the idea of eating them seems morally repugnant. So. They experiment with vegetarianism, and I've been really proud of the way that she stuck to it and also how it's brought our family along for some of us for health reasons and others for moral reasons. But, you know, one thing that I learned about, you know, in, in studying some parts of vegetarianism was about the environmental impact of eating meat and yeah. how much water and other resources, including, you know, resources that contribute to global warming, are involved in the raising of specifically beef, but all meat. So... Eating lower on the food chain has been something we've tried to incorporate in into our family life, too. And it's been helpful. Earthbeat had a series of recipes last Lent. You know, a lot of Catholics turned to avoiding meat on Fridays, at least during Lent. So it seemed like a good time to offer some good recipes. And I've been trying to up my repertoire of vegetarian cooking. So, yeah, Laudato Si' came out the same year that Pope Francis put the season of creation on the Catholic liturgical calendar. But its roots actually go back farther. I think it was in the late 80s that it might have been in the Orthodox Church that they put September 1st as a day of prayer for creation. And so I think it evolved over time. And certainly for Catholics, the release of Laudato Si, which of course looks at environmental justice, but connects it to all kinds of other issues of Catholic social teaching, gave a boost, I think, for all of it. I think we have tried to incorporate some of the broader lessons I think of Laudato Si2 which also look at just the bigger issues of the haves and the have-nots and consumerism and these sorts of things that are not always traditionally related to what people think of as, you know, green issues. So, you know, it's hard because our whole culture is based around consumer and about buying things. We've always been a thrifting family. We go to thrift stores, we buy things used, we share things, we pass things down. We try not to get too caught up in having the newest or the best of everything. So that's one way I think that that Catholics and Christians can think about environmental justice too.
2: Wow. Well, it certainly has raised my level of interest, and, and I'll be thinking about this as we go forward through the year. and Next year, I want to celebrate this holiday. What is the current state of Catholic publishing. I feel like you should be able to tell us about that, being the executive editor of one of our most popular and important newspapers.
3: Well, that's a big question. I know you were referencing a column I had written in which I interviewed a longtime director of a Catholic book publishing company right. who was retiring after a number of years, and he was reflecting on the state of Catholic publishing. Uh, I'm a big reader, of course. and mm-hmm. um, Sure and read a lot of books. And so I've always been interested in book publishing. Our niche of the publishing world is more the news media. So we're a news publication, although we have some, you know, features and columns as well. So I think what one of those, one of the things that Peter Dwyer, who was from Liturgical Press, the the interview I was referencing, talked about was how actually there was an explosion of people reading during COVID, you know, especially everybody stuck at home and hungering for news about the coronavirus and about other things. We had kind of a very important political year in 2020 as well. And many publications, NCR included, saw their traffic, especially online, just explode. And so we had, you know, breaking all records with a number of visitors to our websites and the prominence of our stories and the influence we were having. It happened to coincide with when I became editor, but it had very little to do with that. It just was the 2020 for all publications was a time of growth. Now, book publishers struggled a bit more, Catholic book publishers, because so much of their model or their marketing model was tied to parishes and people buying books at parishes or picking them up there. So you may recall what we weren't going to church for a while or going physically to churches. So things have moderated now, I'd say like kind of post-2021 after the spring I think people can only be on high alert with the news for so long, and it becomes sort of overwhelming. People get burnt out. They're exhausted. So our traffic has moderated, although it's still doing very well compared to years ago. And we have really done a good job of reaching out to a lot of younger people. So the average person who reads our print publication, which we mail every two weeks, and which contains only a small portion of the content that we produce, is an older person, and so they're in their 80s. <laughs> You're all raising hands.
2: Right? I, I'm not in well, my 80s yet. not quite. I'm not in my 80s yet, but I'm a, definitely a print person, and I, I think I mentioned Subscriber
3: that our... right here. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I about knew about the season of creation seven years ago when you started writing about it, but yeah, yeah. we won't go there. they will get ugly. No,
2: no, no. We all know that you know more than me. <laughs> That's right,
0: yeah. <laughs> Only in a very limited <laughs> subset of useless <laughs> information.
2: I, I I was a little surprised because apparently mass attendance has not come back to the levels that it was at. I, apparently, it's about 75%, if I understand the statistics correctly. And yet, your column indicated, though, book publishing was going back down again. Because for me, you're right. I, when I didn't go to church, I was online buying books left and right. But I still do that now for some reason, because I, beca- I got into the habit of it. But it's...
3: Yeah, so the mass attendance thing, that still has to shake out. I think at this point, you know, different studies show different things. And of course, we're all in the middle of our October counts right now in parishes, if you're at a parish and you know right. about these things. So I think we'll know more. It might be a little early to to make some definitive comments about it, except to say that It's not back to the levels of where it was before the coronavirus. That's uneven. So some parishes, I think, are closer to back to what they were, and some may be suffering even more, less than 75 or 80% coming back. The other day, I was at an event where someone was using the 60% statistic about the return. I don't know where that came from, so I can't confirm it. But yeah, I think that's one aspect affecting mass attendance, but we already had a decline in many places in mass attendance already because of the generational shifts in institutional affiliation. And again, these things are uneven because in certain parts of the country, the Catholic Church is growing and mass attendance is going like gangbusters and they're building big churches, you know, in the Southwest or heavily Latino areas. And then other areas like the Midwest and the Northeast, they're shrinking. So those two things together, though, do point to a smaller number of people. And as an editor who cares about our readers, we produce what we produce so that people can read it. We found that using social media is a good place to find new readers and younger readers. So our online stories, which are on our website and cronline.org, they reach a lot more people than our print publication does, and the people tend to be are quite a bit younger. And then on social media, whether it's Facebook or t- Twitter or Instagram, or newly this is new for us, it's been about a year we are now on TikTok. So we are producing videos, short videos that reference stories or other things going on in Catholicism. That we share both on TikTok and then on Instagram, which has short videos as well. And a lot of those folks may or may not be mass goers. They may or may not be people who are gonna come to NCR online and read us every you know day or every week. But we are connecting with them, and I think that's important kind of groundwork to getting people to get the message that, that there's a breadth of Catholicism out there and that the Catholic Church that they think they might not know is not the only way to be Catholic out there. So,
2: Right, right. I mean, well, mm-hmm. I mean, we, our personal experience is that we all are NCR subscribers online and in print, I think. I know. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> But Dennis, since Tom and I— Tom and me, at least one NCR article a day. So, I mean, you you have a lot of content you're putting out there and there's a lot to look at. And I absolutely agree with you that if people think that they know what the church is and they haven't experienced NCR or all the other Catholic publishing avenues that are out there or social media, I should say then you're right. They don't really know what's out there. It, there's a lot.
0: Well, that you is, know, I think we, if I can just, we're just talking about how, you know, pre-pandemic levels of mass attendance, which were not our all-time high, let's remember, to begin with. Right. And how I thought, it interesting, piqued my interest, was when Heidi was talking about how, you know, the rise in people reading and all this other stuff in the publication fields. I have My theory of the case is that we are dealing with a tectonic shift that's got, uh, you know, only tangentially to do with Catholicism. And we look down our smokestack and we wring our hands and, you know, all this stuff, and it's kind of misguided. I would really like to see some research, as long as I'm talking to someone who could do that, into the whole idea of leisure. We don't have free time. And it's not just the Catholic Church. No one's joining anything. Other religions, all these arguments. Well, if we were more conservative, they'd come back. Oh, if we were more liberal, those people are having the same problem we are. And so are the unions, and so are the Kiwanis. And, you know, I mean, people are, have no free time. And the one thing I remember from sociology in college is the professor said, I'm going to tell you something now. I want you to listen to me. This is what I want you to remember 20 years from now when you've forgotten everything else. So I was like, oh, okay, this one would be good. And he said... The basis of culture is leisure. And, of course, that's religion, that's reading, that's art, that's, you know. And people are just on a hamster wheel. People are in survival mode. Even people with two master's degrees are in survival mode between the consumeristic demands of our culture, and i got to take the kids to karate, and i got to take this one to this, and I'm spending money on that. You know, they're always going, going. And so Sunday comes around, and Sunday is reset day. Sunday is the day we do the laundry. You know, my favorite thing when I realized how pervasive this was, the NFL was running ads saying, don't do your laundry on Sundays because people were not watching commercials and they were losing money from their
3: advertisers. Interesting. So they're not going to
0: church either. I think a lot of it's got to do with, I'm exhausted. I got to get the clothes ready. We got to get the lunches made and ready or whatever, buy food, prep food, whatever. And so Sunday is just the day off the hamster wheel to get back on the hamster wheel. Anyway, I would just think that a lot of this has to do with people have no free time for anything. Mm -hmm. And we keep thinking, what are we doing wrong? And I'm saying, I don't know if it's just us. It seems to be, you know, quite extensive from everybody. I mean, the Boy Scouts have girls joining now. You know, why Why do you think that is? You know, they that, have a membership problem.
3: That's so interesting, Dennis. And it was something that the book publisher I was talking about also brought up. It wasn't that yeah. he said we didn't have any leisure, although I think you're right about some of the decline, but he said there are so many options for leisure now. And, you know, it used to be, you know, you could read a book or, you know, I suppose you could turn TV on and there were only a couple options. If it wasn't something you wanted to watch, you were out of luck unless you wanted to go downtown and go to the movies. Now everything is available to you on your phone immediately. And I I think just even about me personally and the amount of time I spend playing games on my phone. And I'm, I was a very late adopter to games, so I kind of started getting into them with Wordle when everyone was into <laughs> Wordle. And now I probably spend at least a half an hour a day playing a video game on my phone that I would have spent doing something else. So... Right. There are a lot of options for leisure out there, but I think you're also right, Dennis, that we're on a lot of hamster wheels.
1: Yeah. you're well, lucky the chance to pick up your phone and put your order in at uh, whatever store it is, and let them do the shopping for you. You know, so you you might save two hours of time going shopping, but it's a, it's a vacuum; it sucks in. Uh, and you fill it with something else and like Peter said that you're right he said you know we're in such competition for a leisure time that you know we're just overwhelmed and we're all good choices I mean nobody's unhappy saying well do I want to watch a movie or do I want to read a book or do this or that but not doing the laundry that's sending out the send the laundry out during the football game
0: right <laughs> well but the one thing we're not doing is going to places where you have to get in a car and go right. and show up for a meeting or some kind of gathering yeah. it's You know, and that's part of the electronic thing. I can do it. I can stay in touch with my friends on phone. I can do FaceTime. I can do, you know, why would I go to the Union Hall? Because, again, it's not just the church. It's, I mean, civil society, you know, I mean, if you look in the neighborhood and say, who's running the Lions Club? It's four old guys. And when they tip over, you know, that whole strata of society, I don't think it's going to be around long from what I'm hearing. And it's just anecdotally when I see people in town or whatever, and it's like, there's no young people. And by young people, I mean anyone under 55. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, that whole thing is interesting what you brought up with during the pandemic, when we had a forced leisure time, all of a sudden this stuff was coming back and questions. And I would even guess that if someone looked at it, that there was a lot of people haven't been in church in a long time, went online
2: there are so many factors at play here. And now, frankly, in the workforce, I know there's a movement to come back a little bit because people do realize that having that, that interpersonal interaction in the office actually is better than doing it by way of video. And there's just, so it. I don't know where it's all going to shake out. But here is another way, though, that people can really make valuable use of their time. And that's the Francis effect the podcast that <laughs> yeah. involves you and David Dalt and Father Very Dan good. Haran. And let me just, before we go into that with any too deeply, how was that for a transition, guys?
3: <laughs> nice. Very
1: good. Very
3: good. Well, I, can, I mean, ju- I'll make a connection for you there. I, From what I've read... Um, actually podcast listening kind of went down during the pandemic because a lot of people were listening to podcasts on their commute. And so if they weren't commuting anymore, they kind of got away from podcasts. But it's my understanding that podcast traffic is back up. And I know the Francis effect, I don't think saw those dips during COVID in part because there was so much Catholic news going on, I think. I have long been a big podcast fan. I think it grows out of being a longtime NPR listener. So I get a lot of news and information in audio journalism, I guess. And I don't know, I'm of the age where I need to get a lot of walks in each day because it's part of my exercise. And I listen to podcasts while I walk. So I started listening to The Francis Effect, oh, several years ago, and was so impressed with both David Dalt and Father Dan Horan that I... I went to my boss at the time. I wasn't the editor, and said, "We got to get this Father Dan Haranda to write for us." So now Father Dan is a regular columnist for NCR, and you can see his column every other week. And both David and Dan had asked me to be a guest on their podcast a couple times. So at the time, they were both based here in Chicago on the south side in Hyde Park, and I was on the north side. So I came down to their studio, and we recorded there. So I think it was. It might have been shortly after the pandemic started and I had become editor that they invited me to be sort of a I think it was an experimental first co-host and we had by then moved to doing it virtually like we all know how to do podcasts without being in the same city now. And I've been on for I think this is starting my 3rd year with them and I can tell you that it's like three friends, and maybe this is how it is for you guys too, like three friends getting together every couple of weeks with this standing appointment mm-hmm. where we just talk about, you know, we pick three news stories that have been big in the news in the last two weeks, and we discuss them through a, we, our tagline is kind of through a lens of our shared Catholic faith, which we each have a slightly different lens, but, and so we don't bring a slightly different perspective, but I think we all come from a more sort of open or progressive viewpoint. And I know I've heard from people that they really appreciate being able to sit in and listen to those conversations. Sometimes I forget we're doing it for a listening audience. I think it's just something David, Dan, and I do together every couple weeks just for our own fun.
2: It's a very easy podcast to listen to. <laughs> it, it's a great podcast and it's a full of really good information. I mean, because you, as you do, as you say, whenever I tune into it, you're, you're discussing something that has happened fairly recently, if not very recently. And how you get up to speed on those things is amazing to me, quite frankly, but you do and, you, and the three of you are just great together. I love the podcast. Well, thank you. Going back to your columns, you recently, in September again, in September 2nd to, the, not to September 15th, don't cede the rosary to the alt-right. <laughs> I really liked that column a lot. And I'll cut to the chase on why I liked it, but then I, I would like for you to talk about it a little bit, if you will. I like it because at the end of the day, it's a way to stop some of these culture wars. Because everybody... Well, I shouldn't say everybody, but I think everybody loves the rosary.
3: I don't know. <laughs> Does everybody love the rosary? I <laughs> Well, <do.
2: laughs> I, I, there are those people who might not. Not like everybody. It, so, yeah, not not maybe not. I never use that. Yeah.
0: The little flower hated it. By the way, she's a doctor of the church. She, yeah, you know. So there, I mean, it's, it's not every, everybody's cup of tea, but everybody has, the has the a point. False, is a valid <laughs> one. The point is a valid one. It reminds me of when the liberals, and they are their own worst enemy ceded the american flag to the right wing in the 60s it's like no see that's you know you got you know it's like we can't use the flag they can you know it's like and, they, and that kind of stuff still goes on and it, i thought it was a good example of the same thing as like oh the rosary or whatever but then again liberals has ceded uh, religion in large extent to the right in general i mean it's like
2: you well know, okay you don't when i say everybody when i say everybody i'm talking about i'll use myself in as, as an example I'm a Catholic convert. I did not grow up with the rosary. So it took me a long time to really understand what it was about and why it was a good thing. And I don't want to sound ignorant about it when I say why it was a good thing, but I mean, why were people so much, those who are enthralled with it, why? And once you try it, and once you do it, and once you pray it, I mean, there's so many, it's like we were talking before, it's not just one thing. You don't have to be in a certain way to like the rosary or to love the rosary or to get spiritual benefit from the rosary. And I probably take different aspects of spirituality from the rosary than other people, maybe even everybody on this podcast. But tell us about your column a little bit and why you got to the point of don't cede it to the alt-right.
3: Sure. Well, I think, you know, your concern about the culture wars is a valid one because they can be very ugly. You know, we have these divisive issues in our country that are polarizing our country. And very similarly, it's happening in our church in the United States as well. And I think these terms are are not very accurate, but they're helpful shorthand, I guess, to say we have sort of more progressive or liberal Catholics over here. And then we have these conservative or traditionalist Catholics over here. And we focus on what we don't agree on, <laughs> or these divisive issues that we have different experiences of, perhaps, and thus different views about. And we have this sort of ideological division or camps. I think, in some ways, you, sa- you had mentioned that maybe some of people in parishes are not that clued into the culture wars, and that's right. a good thing. But on the other hand, they should also be aware— of the influence of both sides. And I'm here to say after a lot of reporting about this that the right is quite a bit better funded and doing a better job of getting their message out. So such that I frequently run into some of these non-institutionally connected young people who think that to be Catholic is to be right-wing politically, or to be Catholic is to have voted for Donald Trump, or to be Catholic is to only want to go to the Latin Mass or something like that. This isn't accurate, of course. It's a misunderstanding. And I think what I was writing about in my column was a specific article I was responding to that was in the Atlantic magazine. Right. So, so the Atlantic magazine was concerned about this trend of people, conservative Catholics, using the rosary in militaristic ways. So they had uncovered these places where you can buy a combat rosary, where you can get a concealed carry permit for your rosary, you know, kind of a cutesy thing to order where you could get a a prayer card of a saint carrying an automatic weapon, which of course is very antithetical to our saints. But, and they were, the author of this Atlantic article was making the connection and saying, this is terrible that this religious practice, the rosary, is being used in a Christian nationalist sort of way to promote violence on the right. And the response to the article was pretty interesting because either one camp, you know, said the rosary and Catholicism is terrible. So you have maybe more liberals in the country who are reading this article or even in the church who said, oh, you're right, the rosary and the whole Catholic Church, it's terrible. And then you had conservatives saying, well, the Atlantic Magazine is terrible because they're wrong and the rosary isn't about this. And don't you know what spiritual warfare is? That's different. And what I was trying to say was, I think the author of that article did a pretty good job of saying, hey, this is out there. And it's problematic. I think we can say, We don't want our prayer cards of Mary carrying an automatic weapon. But also, we don't need to automatically reject the traditional devotions in our church. Many of us liberal and conservatives alike, find the rosary to be a very spiritual way to connect with God through Mary, who find it a helpful spiritual practice. And I was trying to say, I'm a good example of that. I'm a pretty progressive Catholic. I grew up in a very progressive 70s kind of church. And I say the rosary pretty regularly, actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's what I was trying to say in that piece.
2: I think you did say that. I mean, (laughs) that's why I like the piece. That's precisely the issue. As long as we've brought the culture wars up and these kinds of things and the problems, and we all know the church has had some problems. We haven't even mentioned in this podcast today the abuse scandal that is still lingering, is still making news every once in a while. We still have examples of bishops not paying attention and of priests being abusive and other people being abusive. Having said all that, why do you stay in the church?
3: Well, that's a great question, and I've had periods of my life when it's been very difficult for me to either attend Mass regularly or to claim the label Catholic, but I don't think I've ever left the church really in my life. The reason I stay is because I believe what the church teaches, and I find Jesus's message very compelling. So I'm in the position now of having to try to explain to those aforementioned teenagers you know, why we have to go to church every week and why, unlike so many people that we know, we are regularly involved in our church. And I just say to them, you know, I find the message of Jesus very compelling, very useful in my life. I believe in something bigger than our life here on earth. And I I think there are many paths up the mountain of how to understand the divine, but the Catholic path is what I was raised in and has been the most, you know, helpful or one that still speaks to me. So I stay, but I believe that you can stay and critique at the same time. So there are voices out there now who say, if you're going to stay, you need to just kind of put up and shut up and just accept everything the way it is or accept it the way that maybe a previous generation believed that the Catholic Church needed to be. So I don't believe that. But in terms of accepting the tenets of the creed, I guess I'm still someone who finds that very compelling.
0: And those people have always been there. I mean, I've been a subscriber since the 70s to NCR, and had many people, you know, oh, the National Catholic Distorter, blah, 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 (laughs) blah. And then, of course, you know, we hang out with the Paulist Fathers. Oh, the Paulist. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. You know, (laughs) uh, CSP, Congregation of Semi-Protestants. You know, I mean, the whole—what is this ultramontane thing where— you know, this idea that you, A, have to be more Catholic than the Pope, which, of course, I don't know what happened to that, because lately the people that say that, they, you know, <laughs> they're calling the Pope a heretic or whatever. So I guess that's only when it works for you. But anyway, you know, this whole pay, pray, and obey, and it's like, you know, that's not church history. It's never been that way. It might have been that way in 1955 in your Italian parish in Cincinnati. Okay, that could be a slice of the big tradition, but it's never been that way. And we have people that are saints and acknowledged leaders in this country who were liberal Catholics. Woo, you know, I mean, and of course, the meaning of the word liberal has changed, too. You know, all these words change their meaning over time. But, you know, the idea that one size fits all is exactly the opposite of what Catholic is. How can we have 1.2 billion people and everybody's the same? Yeah. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's preposterous. Or the idea that, and you will all be the same. You know, that's why we have all these devotions, all these different religious orders you can join, all these, you know. I mean, the whole thing is a big smorgasbord. And there's other people saying, no, you got to eat the blue plate special. That's it. What's on this plate here is what you have to eat. So this is a battle that we have not done well fighting, just in, you know, exposing people to the fact that, This assumption that some of you have is provably wrong from history and church teaching. And I don't know what to tell you except get help, get professional help, have someone help you work through this diluted concept and stop imposing it on everybody else because you're never going to have one size fits all.
2: Yeah. One of the things, though, that Heidi just said that resonates with me and that I've basically said to other people when asked, why do you stay? is as you said, you stay and you critique because Frank I don't know if anybody listens to anything I have to say now inside the church but if I left the church certainly nobody inside the church would listen to what I have to say I mean we need and I say this to the young people too when lately my RCIA which is an, a misnomer for what I'm about to say when I I've been asked over the last few years to bring teenagers in, into the church who needed to be baptized and or confirmed and first holy communion and things like that and I keep saying to them, we need you. <laughs> we need you, you know. it's not, I'm not telling you you need us. I'm saying we need you. And so yeah. I think that's important too.
3: I will say, Dennis, sometimes I do have empathy for people who are looking for kind of a black and white world and answers that are fairly simplistic. I think there, you mentioned somebody, I think, used the word tectonic in terms of the amount of change that we're going through as a society and a world right now. And I I think that when, when you face that kind of scary time, it can seem like black and white answers are very comforting. So I try to have empathy for people who are grasping at that. I do think that eventually, if you have life experiences that are not fitting in the black and white paradigm, which pretty much I think everybody does at some point in life, then that can be very difficult because your life experience does not fit into that black and white sort of paradigm. As a woman in the church, I think those have been the most difficult struggles for me in terms of church teaching about women. And I don't accept all of the church teaching about women, but I do not believe that then there's no place for me in the church. And I believe in staying in the church to try to advocate for more roles for women, especially in leadership. I don't personally feel called to ordination, but I believe it should be open to women. And I know that other people who've had life experiences that are different than mine have other issues with the church. So we're a human institution all trying to go forward together. And I I try to have some empathy for people who are even saying I shouldn't be part of the church.
0: But we have a synod going on, which of course is one of the big reasons we have the pushback against the pope. And the synod is saying just what you're saying. We have to listen to people. What's their life experience? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaks through the people. You know, I mean, this is a basic of Catholic theology that you know is not widely acknowledged or whatever. But we have this the biggest consultation in the world going on, the history of the world going on right now, and. what's the point of consulting if you have all the answers and there's no need of anyone being a prophet saying, you know, we could do this better. Or, you know, I'm not so sure that's true. I mean, I know we thought it was, because again, everybody's doing the best they can. There's no question that, you know, people who said, well, you know, this is how it seems to us. Okay, but that was in 1594. We've learned a few things since then, and some of that is questionable. You know, the earth is not flat, for example, so we can't base teachings off of what we now know. Are not true but the prophetic role which is what ncr was always getting bashed for just for saying well here are the facts well don't tell me the facts give me the propaganda that most uh and papers you know it's the happy talk here's the bishop you know doing this or that and it's not adult faith i mean i'm not surprised you know the people are leaving it's like people like you know you shouldn't have educated us if you didn't want us to think I mean, that's where the church went wrong, you know, so I agree with you. I have a lot of sympathy for people that are looking for something solid to grasp, but, you know, what's solid to grasp is the mystery of God, not anything between that and us. And, you know, we are a work in progress, as well, you said, so. No, that that's our job,
2: <laughs> to try to help them.
1: That's kind of what we're trying to do here, isn't that? To put the word out to, to say what the benefits of our parishes, our churches, our faith is. You've got so much to choose from and there's room for everybody. And uh, it was like voting. One of the things that was said in the last election, you know, you might not like the choices, but just hold your nose and do what you can do. Not voting is not an answer. And I've got friends who've chosen that path. Same as those who leave the church. Once you leave the church, your voice is out. Don't expect change if you leave and you're not that committed to even uh, stay in and endure because of the great part of our church, right? I think it's Jesus Christ, the Eucharist, you know. We've got some real depth here that can help us with the consumerism you talk about, about making choices like what we eat and how we live. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the path of the gospel. And it's not for everybody, apparently, because we like to watch MTV or whatever's on—that what, shows my time. Is MTV <laughs> still different? What What is this what? MTV? <laughs> no, you old fool. I'm, so—
2: so, Heidi, we're coming, I think, to the end of our hour. So what is there anything that we haven't asked you or talked about that you think it would be—that you'd like to speak about?
3: Well, I have so enjoyed coming together with you guys and having this conversation, and thanks for all the kind words that you've said about the National Catholic Reporter. I guess I would just say to people out there who maybe listen to this podcast but are questioning whether they're alone— just to say to people that you are not alone, that you're not the only person out there who is struggling with your relationship to the church, and that you can find a lot of like-minded folks and stories and articles and columns and content that might and videos that might help you at ncronline.org or at our social media accounts. So come join us and check us out and hopefully not feel that that sense of aloneness if you're in a parish where maybe you don't feel like you fit very well
0: and the Francis effect podcast. Let's yes. not forget that. One of the things we <laughs> one of the things we want to do on this podcast is tell people about good Catholic podcasts that will, you know, sustain them because unfortunately a lot of people don't have great parishes available to them, you know, like you would say in Chicago where you can say, well, the preaching's better over here or I'm going to go, you know, it's like this is the only game in town and you know, sometimes it's pretty sad they don't have much choice. So The Francis Effect is a wonderful podcast, and it's a great joy to listen to, and we highly recommend it. And we also recommend, you know, what Heidi was saying about, you know, it's okay to be an adult, and you don't have to leave your brain at the door to become a Catholic. I mean, that's, we were proud of that for centuries. I don't know when we embrace this idea that, no, no, I'll do your thinking for you. So, yeah, don't listen to those people. You're allowed to have thoughts and to wrestle with God as Jacob wrestled with the angel. So come on in and but wrestle. But
1: again, their podcast is positive. It's uplifting. It's a nourishing. It's a way to just turn off the negativity that, negativity that just clouds our life through so many other media forms. So right. thank you very much for that.
0: And you see the faith of the three of them. And as Heidi said, and they're they all fun. different. But, you yep. know, when they're kicking these things back and forth, you just, that, that adult faith that shines through from the three of them is just so, I don't know, edifying, so sustaining. It, it's so, it so fills you with hope. It doesn't matter what they're talking about because, you know, realize you're listening to the real deal. Like, this is what the program's supposed to produce if you really work the program. You come out in the end, you get people like this. You could be a person like this if you wanted to be. So, it's,
1: we thank you very much for, uh, for coming on and sharing. And for all the work you do, yeah. getting valid information out to people <laughs> that uh, hopefully you can pick it up, because I think Catholics are some of the least read in matters of our faith. We're kind of starved in that regard. Thank, thank you very much. You say nothing
0: of the risk you've taken to your reputation by associating with <laughs> <laughs> known morons. So, thank you for that.
3: Well,
2: Trump, thank you very much.
3: Thank you. It's been such fun.
0: Special thanks to El Jefe, Paul Snatchko, and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacons Pod is powered by the Paulus Fathers. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, and of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S with an S, Deacons, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is Deacons Pod, again, with an S, deacons, at paulist.org, that's P-A-U-L-I-S-T dot org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.